0: We welcome you to explore the third place with us.
1: It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue.
0: You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: We invite you in to the third place.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Third Place Podcast. My name is David.
0: And I am Mary Allard.
1: So good to have you here, and I hope you all have had a good week. Happy Tuesday.
0: This topic that we're about to dive into, we think, is probably the most important topic in this time. And really, it's because we've We've realized, and I think this is like a a known fact with everyone, is that the world right now is just a, a place with such heightened emotions. I mean, you name it from COVID to how that's affected you, whether, you know, it's just that you've lost a job or you've had grief or loss as a result of it or just loss in the way that the what normal used to be for you. And now school kids going back to school or doing homeschooling. The use of masks and what that brings up for people, and how uh, how people are responding to this change, politics, uh, the upcoming election, and then just like your own personal response to all these stressors and shoot, Mercury retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no the end the in list, sight. Is, yeah, the the knowing in sight, like.
1: I mean, when I think about heightened emotions, just regular life has these ups and downs of emotions, these peaks and valleys. And and so even in normal times, there are these emotional milestones or life events. Like I have a friend of mine that's getting married. And so what's supposed to be this ultra joyous occasion and, and, you know, preparing for a wedding is always stressful by itself. But now we add in COVID and sometimes the wedding, does it need to be delayed? Can I invite all the people I really want to invite? No one can really dance, but we want to still stop and celebrate. But also like grief, whether someone has passed from COVID or not, like grief looks a lot different. And obviously that's a hard emotion. And Mary, your dad at the beginning of COVID, you Mm -hmm. know, passing away and you couldn't even have a normal funeral. You right. Know, so, like, hair is an already heightened emotion thing that's already really hard to do, and it's still like a thousand times harder because of everything.
0: Yeah, and and so we feel like there's just everyone's coming from this heightened state, and so we want to talk about sort of the the human response to being in this state and how exchanging and conversing and relating with others. What our human response or knee-jerk responses, and then we want to break down like just some ideas and tools that we've discovered over time that we think could be helpful in preparing for for conversations that are already coming from that intense place and and making it more of a productive approach. And that by thinking about something prior or by preparing for it, we're not going to just add pain to some experiences or exchanges that might already have an essence of pain.
1: Right. Well, and it's the, the thinking about it, you know, the, the reality is that the way our mind works and the brain, the way our brain is just wired to work is there is an emotional part of our mind and there's a logical thinking part of our mind. And the reality is they don't really talk to each other very well. And so, you know, when we have any kind of emotional response, it immediately gets into a fight or flight situation. And it's, it's really about survival and and how we evolved as humans. And the logic part is there to, to really think through things. And when we break down uh, a fight or flight moment, usually whatever's the trigger, the fear, when we start to break that down and actually logically pull it apart there, things aren't as bad as what the emotional response tends to like knee jerk to do.
0: Right. Well, and the inspiration behind this conversation was like, we've all seen these viral videos going out where a lot of the news has been, has covered exchanges at places of hospitality, the coffee shop. You know, since we come from coffee and tea backgrounds, beverage backgrounds, and whatnot, this has been something that has been a topic that is happening daily where it's like, wow, you know, customer service staff. And otherwise are on the front line right now. I mean, anyone on the front line right now is is in this place where they are at the heightened emotions are there and we're seeing exchanges go sour really, really quick over something that might be what you would consider if you like. It's like every time you have a fight with someone afterwards, you're like, like, how many times have you been asked like, oh, well, what was your fight about with your with your partner? And you're like oh, gosh, it was so stupid. Like, the start of the fight was that maybe she didn't put something in the fridge right. Or, like, something so, it could be so silly. And I'm not saying this is the case across the board. But really, a lot of these exchanges, I think, are starting from something pretty uh, small on the surface. But that's because there's so much under the surface right now that's happening that is maybe not being acknowledged, but is being displaced as as something else.
1: Right. Well, I, that's such a great way to think about it. Um, because usually that small thing, it's not ever about the small thing. It's about pulling the onion apart. And really, there's this other thing that's underlying. And then, yeah, I mean, sneezing the wrong way all of a sudden starts a fight, right? So <laughs> that larger thing created the scenario where any small thing triggers the whole right. uh, response. So the problem that we have right now is we've got so many of these tensions that we're all living through without an end in sight, like we just said. And so for so many people, probably you and I included, a small thing can trigger something out of what will seem like nowhere.
0: Yeah. What tips the scale or what starts the avalanche sort of thing? Like it could be, usually is something so little. And Mm -hmm. like, so... From my experience, you know, I've been in leadership roles, and I ran a small grocery store, and then I ran a coffee shop, and a tea shop, and a juice bar, and whatnot. So, this is something that I was exposed to diffusing little miscommunications or minor conflicts day on the daily in as as a leader or a manager in this situation, and. You know, one of the things that I recalled, like everyone always says the customer is always right. But really, I think it's more that the customer just wants to be seen and the customer just wants to be heard. And this conversation, I'll probably be speaking mostly from the lens of of that perspective, because that's where my experience lies. But I've found that there are some, some ways to help both parties feel acknowledged and not only diffuse situations, but actually walk away feeling a sense of connection or understanding and that there could be a a productive result to something that feels so unproductive at first. And I just really love this conversation because I I think that if we could all feel equipped with just a little bit of compassion-finding tools then there would be a lot less news to be shared. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, for for me, knowing that fight or flight is an emotional response that is so easily triggered has been a tool for me. Like if, if I react to something and I can see it and then I can immediately acknowledge like, Oh wait, this is fight or flight kicking in. I've been able to learn that that's now a trigger, which, gets me out of it just as quickly as it gets me in like when i see the fight or flight in me i know it's like the awareness of it allows me the tool to like pause and then get get the logic part of my mind active again
0: how do you recognize you're in fire flight
1: Mm. well i can feel it (laughs) i mean i can just feel it in my body like i don't you, don't red. you turn,
0: turn, well, but also I, uh, don't you check your blood pressure sometimes too?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: But now you know what that feels like, right? Like when you take check your blood pressure and then you can like s- feel what that result feels mm-hmm. like in your body.
1: hmm Yeah. It, it's like the phrase, I can feel my blood boiling, like that's what it feels like. Right? It just... Le-
0: legit. Like, oh, wow.
1: that's where that phrase come, came from. Absolutely.
0: So it's like heat
1: it's heat and it's just pressure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so then that, that triggers you to, to like get into a logic space and being in a logic space helps you be out of a somatic space.
1: Um, I would say what, what it does is when I feel it, I know I need to like probably shut things down. I think the most ideal and what I probably need to work on is when I start to feel it is like, Hey, I need to go step outside and just take five minutes and, you know, walk or do jumping jacks or clench my fists so I can get that energy out in some physical way. So that would be the end goal. I said, where I would say that I'm at now is I at least can acknowledge it. And I know that I probably just need to stop talking, you know, and not add any fuel to the fire of that particular conversation.
0: What's cool is that that's actually like a still like a little bit of an action. It's an action response, not a, uh flight you're like taking action to do something you're not submitting to it you're acknowledging it and then doing something even if doing something is that you made a choice to do or say nothing mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i'll still say or do something but it's like after the scenario is over and then i have people that i can trust that i can just like blah this happened <laughs> i'm so bad and then it, yeah, like that a whole external processing i can just process with someone and i don't need I don't need a response. I just need to like, ah, this sucks, you know, and kind of vomit emotionally with someone.
0: You know, when I was a barista or a manager, I used to tell people that you would see the worst and the best of customers within a five minute period, because I, I feel like Especially if coffee is part of, or a beverage in the morning, a warm beverage, or going to the place as part of your routine, and your self-care, there was usually, like, a sense of the person was somewhat in a stress state when they first came to you, when they were ordering. Plus, there is, I mean, caffeine's a drug, like, there is a drug at, at hand in this story. Mm-hmm. But they would likely be in somewhat of a stress state because they had yet to have their routine and then just in the transition from them ordering and maybe being like really flat with you or or not themselves then in the first sip like it it was crazy to see the shift in from stress to euphoria and that was like to see that spectrum within five minutes of people always fascinated me but with that being said a lot of the conflicts that would happen would be in the ordering process More in the ordering process than in the receipt of the drink because this person was maybe in a state, the stress state is fight or flight. So there's, you know, that presents with foggy thinking. I mean, you also haven't had your caffeine. And so little miscommunications would happen every single day. And one of my friends who runs a coffee shop right now, they have to offer how much the tip is because it's a no-touch screen they have to say okay would you like to give a tip which is already a little bit of a sensitive subject to begin with and then that customer is put on the spot because otherwise you can like kind of secretly not give a tip or give a little tip or whatever there's a whole like moral exchange going on there you can you know and um, now the the barista has to ask and and then select it for them and this barista didn't have an option to select what the customer had requested. It was like a very specific percentage. And so she did the closest to it, but didn't ask permission. And that blew up into a massive moral issue between the, the staff member and the customer that was ordering, saying that they felt violated and taken advantage of for what ended up being 11 cents. But I use this example... Because to me, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's like, what tipped the scale for for this customer? And I think so often when we're in this heightened emotional state, we tend to want to put blame on someone. And I feel compassion for the fact that I think customers or those in customer service, especially or in hospitality or in healthcare or wherever there's an exchange where you may not actually have some connecting ground with the person. And it's like the first time I think that there, that that's a very, very vulnerable uh, exchange for this time in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, and I can tell you like, and maybe this is me trying to avoid conflict, but you know, we, we are a roasting facility, but we, and we don't have a coffee shop but we do have like a little bit of a coffee bar. And um, so not a lot of foot traffic for what we're trying to do. But for us, it's just like, if I have that exchange, I don't even ask the customer for a tip. And I've kind of have found out the, the team has basically done the same thing Yeah, whatever. And we just don't even offer and we just don't do any tip at all. But it's just, it's a little bit different just because our model is not quite a cafe, but I did, I actually just read, um, this is a coffee shop in Denver. Oh, yeah. Like tipping is a different topic, but they part of their response in the in the pandemic was, you know, what? we're just going to raise our prices
0: and get rid of tipping. Right. But that was also in response to trying to make a living wage out, out of a per- barista position, which is pretty radical in itself.
1: Right. But then they they have a whole bunch of people that embrace it. And then they have a whole bunch of people that, like, were really pissed off. And I, I know for me, as like I'm. My idea around tipping is tied to service and what I get. And so it definitely feels weird when I, everything, almost every restaurant experience at the moment is picking up. So I'm for the restaurant industry. So I'm just like, yeah, 20%, 25% even.
0: Even when you, when you do takeout. When I
1: do takeout, but it's still it's like, but if it, if it weren't for the pandemic and if it weren't for people that were really struggling right now, that's not normally uh, something I would tip very much for just like a dollar for, you know, or whatever. So it's just, it's (laughs) awkward. I'm like, and you're getting, you're asking, they're asking for the tip at the moment of the transaction, but I'm like, well,
0: (laughs) I, it makes me think that like one of the, probably one of the biggest, I would bet one of the biggest newly adopted practices is ordering groceries online. Mm -hmm. I was already ordering groceries online, but That's one thing. I still have no idea how much to tip because that's an option. But you're like, it's funny. I think we all go through this thing where we're like, well, is there a delivery fee? Does that go to them? Is there this? And you have this like rationale that you walk through to decide whether you tip or not and how much. And I still, I don't know if there's a a recipe. Feel free to let me know if so, (laughs) because I'd love to know. But I've just been totally making it up each time based on how much I order, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, I'm like,
0: well, if it's this many bags and it's heavy, like that's harder.
1: <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, yeah. And it does go down to like, uh, I mean, this is a definitely maybe tipping should be its own topic someday. But, you know, <laughs> it, what is that living wage is how much is the responsibility of the owner? Do we you know, that's one question I've been wrestling with is what if I just raise our prices by 50 cents and we just flat out don't accept tips you know but we, so it's like the dollar spend is the same but we're kind of trying to remove the emotion and put the weight on the ownership to like this we pay people what they should be paid and it's not up to the customer to fill in that gap but that yeah this is totally uh tipping um is is definitely one of these spaces that is just weird and awkward and can be conflict uh, inducing, uh, in, in these times.
0: <laughs> yeah. So like really what we're trying to get at though, too, is just that every time, um, we are faced with an exchange where maybe each person is coming from a different perspective or likely that's so often. I mean, that's what the, the third place for us is like, okay, living in this dualistic perspective, living in a bipartisan political scene and also like even the act of wearing a mask or not is like making a stance at least that in some places that's definitely making a stance right so there's all these examples right now and there were already there's already an undercurrent of other examples of dualistic things so there's these exchange all the time where You are meeting someone and you don't know where they're coming from or where you're coming from. And what are like quick ways for you to potentially, there's going to be no avoiding potential conflict and instead just being prepared to find empathy, find compassion, and be able to meet someone where they're at. And one of those things that I like has been one of the biggest mantras for me is remembering that When conflict comes my way or a miscommunication happens, um, I remind myself this is not mine or this is not mine to own. And I think it's so easy for us to internalize when an exchange happens that feels negative or ucky in some way to feel like we had a role in that or that their perspective of what's happening or the presence that they bring is a reflection on us. Like I'll give you a quick example. My husband is one of the most amazing fathers and he's very detail oriented. We're both very detail oriented so you know on many occasions we're like we're great business partners when it comes to having a rental property but when you become business partners and having a child it's a, it has a whole different tone. So I remember in the first two years of of Sawyer's life, he would remind me of things like okay don't forget to feed him and then and my response immediately was super defensive like i know i got it i'm his mom <laughs> i've done this for 2 years right it was like like and so my my um experience of him saying don't forget something was that i didn't i wasn't smart enough i wasn't a good mom i didn't know this and and my and then I became very defensive, and then what would happen was, like, these little miscommunications all the time, and it didn't become around, it, it became something that it wasn't. So then, instead of him doing something that was his to own, where he just wanted to, like, say it out loud, make sure it was said, and then he could let it go, it became something where it was, like, a reflection on, like, our dynamic, and it was that is something that I want to share because I feel like this happens all the time in exchanges. And it's like, what if we could try to find a place of remembering one of the first things I think of is this mantra. This is not mine to own.
1: Yeah. I mean, my mind, when you said that went immediately to that person who left it or that got mad about, about the tip, right? Did, what was it that they owned? How does the barista not own that part? And the backstory, none of us know, right? Did that person like, The day before their bank balance overdrew and they got charged $35 from the bank. And so there's financial stress. Did they lose a job where literally a penny counts right now? And this was the one treat that they were doing or, you know, or was it like a dozen of other scenarios? You'll never know as the barista, but the bottom line is you can't. But to be aware that it's not yours to own, like if the barista owned it, and I don't know how Mm -hmm. you don't own it a little bit. But the next customer that you serve, how do you not take that energy and then pass it on to that person and be like, well, this job sucks or I'm done with this and you make a crappy drink and then now you've, you've kind of passed on that negative energy.
0: Yeah, and I feel I feel like even though, you know, she – okay, we could look back at this and say she probably should have asked permission for that extra 11 cents. Like that would be a way to prepare for the situation. Let's assume that that wasn't an option and that – Um, that wasn't necessary. It's not saying that she doesn't have ownership in the exchange or in her role in the exchange. To me, it's like she doesn't have ownership over his response. So like that, I think that there's a very, very big difference there being like, okay, yes, you know, each conversation or exchange is going to have, each person has a role, but it's, it's not saying that 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 their response and their actions are yours, you can still have have your own. And it's interesting that we're even talking about how, like, we're creating a safer, more productive exchange by making some separation, and I'm just recognizing this now, but that there's something really powerful about realizing that you're separate from someone's response. And then coming from that place are all these amazing empathy tools that can happen in a very quick way, because I feel like a lot of these exchanges usually are not with people that you're very comfortable with or familiar with, and they're not your friends or your family. And so that's what I really hope to equip people with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So leading with empathy, I think uh, that's a great thing to talk through. Like what are some examples of empathy tools that you've used
0: so I love to do a practice. One of the things that I think that we all think of or, or have experienced is being in rush hour or in traffic or those experiences where it's like we're irritated by a person um, that we may not know or things that are out of our control. Like, David, I think you've told me, like, you, you've struggled with some, <laughs> some um, traffic anxiety.
1: Yeah, I don't out loud... Cuss very often, <laughs> but when I'm driving,
0: sure, all the gloves are off, <laughs> all the gloves are off, or you put the gloves on, rather. Yeah, um, so I've always been the sort of person, and one of my favorite times I was laughing so hard when I heard Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell talk on their podcast because they talked about how Dax is like always oh, rushing to get to the place and then he's like s- there a minute early and it was like that was the success of the the whole stressful ride was the minute early how successful you know at the cost of what and Kristen Bell was like I'm always the person that thinks about like what if they're uh, rushing to the hospital or what if they have massive anxiety on the highway driving like there was this like what if uh, self-talk that happened inside and that's something that I do so I've try to extend that perspective, what I call generous perspectives, to exchanges with people that are maybe new or unfamiliar. And in the customer service perspective, I always would teach my staff to try to think in that way too. And that helps you find the empathy or help you helps you to realize just like what you were saying. It was like, what if he just lost his job and that 11 cents was what, what tipped the scale? Or like, what if this? So I feel like that Practice of asking yourself, what if, um, helps you have a generous perspective. And it's actually a tool I learned in couples therapy or reiterated in couples therapy at one point too, because it was helping you to remember that everyone has a mother and has a father in some capacity and was a baby mm-hmm. at one mm-hmm. point. And... It kind of speaks to like, what if you could think like, man, like if that's the truth that they are just lovable, I don't know. It helps you. It helps you sort of soften, soften your edge and and lead with generosity.
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, that that came up for me a little bit recently when Mary Trump published her book about Donald Trump. So here's the niece and she's anti-Trump. And I I know that this is a safe middle space, but I'm not a fan of our president and he makes me really mad, but she was writing about that childhood experience. And she has, uh, has a psychology background and was describing Donald Trump as a two-year-old when he was two, he had a younger brother that was born and it was a really traumatic pregnancy. And after all that happened, his mother just bailed. Like, so at two years old, there was this kid who was desperate for love and attention from his And parents, abandoned. And he was abandoned. And while it doesn't excuse any of the behavior of what I disapprove of with Donald Trump, it, it hit home for me because I have a two year old and there's, if he got abandoned, I mean, I would do anything for my kid.
0: Yeah.
1: And if he were abandoned right now, I mean, that was, that would be heartbreaking. Um, for me on, on him. So to think of Donald Trump in a way that as a two year old, that was immediately abandoned. I, I now all of a sudden.
0: Have compassion.
1: Have compassion. Not an excuse for what I see today, but like that sucks.
0: Yeah. I mean, and just that, that certain things that happen when you're younger, how they ingrain themselves and how they translate to behaviors as you're older. I think that that's like, I mean, what a great example of trying to find a way to create empathy for someone that triggers you and makes you feel angry. Mm hmm. So, I mean, generous perspectives to me is like something that we can all do really easily. And it could even be like envisioning um, one of the people that you love the most and you respect the most in that person you're exchanging with and sort of uh, putting that aura around them as you have an exchange and that that is a way that's a really, really easy tool to soften that edge. Mm hmm. And and really what it comes down to, I mean, a lot of these like, you know, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy? Empathy is it's a shared experience. Sympathy is something you haven't experienced prior, and, but you're still giving love and light to, right? So I think of all of these tools as just like what what you're trying to do or trying to infuse is how can we connect with those that we feel disconnect? How can you sit with someone who's a Republican and you're a Democrat or whatever it may be, or you're a male perspective and a female perspective, all this um, opposing perspective and experience and presence that we talk about. And how can you find a really quick way to connect so that relationship can be formed and um, it can become a productive outcome?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, You know, creating that space to mirror back someone's feelings. Um, So many of us, Mm. when we think about when we're we're talking and I I mean, honestly, this is just a challenge out loud. Like, I mean, to make sure that I'm listening to you say something before I'm forming my own thoughts. Right. Right. And and, and, and in lifetime on this podcast. Um, (laughs) And so there's this there's a tension and balance in that. And I think that one of the things that goes back to what you were saying about the customer, they really just want to be seen and heard. So connecting and mirroring back and like we've probably all heard this listening tool when we're in a dialogue with someone, you know, someone says something to to us, a great way to mirror back and connect with is, oh, what I hear you saying is. And so that forces you to to be listening to what the person says and probably clarifies what that person was trying to tell you in the first place.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that was, like, one of the first tools that I learned in communication was, like, yeah, what I hear you saying. And I I started to hate it because it felt so like you were being a psychologist or, like, that there was, like, a mm-hmm. – there was, like, a, a – like, you weren't on easy grounds. It was, like, oh, right, I hear you saying. And, it, like, especially when you start to, like, practice it, then you hear everyone doing it and you're, like, okay, like, you're, you know. So. Yeah,
1: it's almost like it was, like, a pretentiousness <laughs> that came back at it. And so it was, like, a passive-aggressive – way to say it or something yeah
0: so when my mom who has her master's in social work and and worked um for many years as a hospice social worker she taught me a different way which Mm. i've you i've loved this and it's just two words and it's so easy and now every time i say this to you you're gonna be like okay Uh, she's doing the same (laughs) thing she's psychoanalyzing me i start sentences with i wish um and and i say like To me, by starting a sentence with I wish, it's like I'm commiserating with you because I also wish it could have gone this way. So like in a customer service exchange, maybe I I would be like, I wish I could have done this for you or I wish that it was different here. And then to me, that was my way of saying like, I hear you and I connect with you. I actually understand that you're pissed and I wish I could do something more about it. But it's not that I'm disowning that I can't do something about it. It's just saying I wish I had greater tools or the, the situation allowed me to. And it felt like a way of saying, I hear you and I see you and I actually get it. And then when they knew I got it, it then they felt like I became human again.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that that that's come up for multiple times with me about just masks. like. I, you know, here here's the policy that it, it's from the government. We enforce it that oh you have to God, wear a mask. Oh, my God. So true. But what's and, and you know, we have had some customers like, ah, I hate wearing masks. And I'm like, I do, too. Like, like, I'm with you on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, so.
0: Yeah. I wish we didn't have to wear masks, too.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: But, you know, but that can fo- that can follow by a but there can be like a a second layer to it where there is the, the letdown, but it it starts with like a, I get it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's because connection is so at the core of just love and relationship. Like, you know, would they say, you know, when you're bitching about something, but you're bitching about it together, you're experiencing, you're actually not experiencing hate in your bitching. You're experiencing love because you're sharing in what you're bitching about with someone.
1: Right. That's actually the thing that is, it honestly breaks my heart with our current political climate is, you know, one side's patriotic and the other one's not. It's like, wait, no, we're all patriotic. Like, what, why did we lump ourselves in these two different boats? Like, I think we all want the same things. We all want really good education. We all want living wages. We all want a middle class. And we disagree on how to get there. But we really, we all want the same things. And how do we like get past this fight or flight so that we can actually talk about getting to the thing that we want to get to. And it's really just sad. It it really, yeah, it makes me very sad.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the third place, but Mm -hmm. that's why I love talking to you and talking about what we talk about, because I feel like there's so much room for this conversation forever, where it is, it's, it's both. And maybe we can be sad and we want this, or maybe we want this and think it could go this way. It's, it's that and that we go back to. It's not this or this, it's this and this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the last episode we brought up, you know, learning about yourself and, and the different personality tests. And I, you know, we talked about how Myers-Briggs is, Um, my favorite, I, I loved for me, just the breaking down of thinking and feeling. And we even brought this up a little bit earlier today, or in this episode of there's this emotional space and then there's this logic space. And as people, we tend to gravitate more in one or the other, but that whole listening exercise, uh, a friend of mine is a psychologist. And when she was in college, she taught me this trick. Like when you're listening, you can kind of hear how the other person processes information. So when they're talking about, Hey, this thing happens. And I really think that blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. That's a cue that they could be more of that logic space. So in response, if you ever, if you said to that person in exchange, like, Oh, wow. What I hear you say is that you feel that. And if I use feel instead of think that person will be like, no, you didn't hear me at all. Like I'm, you know, and so we always use think or always use feel and if we interchange them then we kind of play well in both worlds but very rarely do we exchange those and then if you respond with the opposite then that can also be kind of this trigger
0: mm yeah so like in that uh one of you know how there's that big masterclass um website where some some of the highest expert or most esteemed um, people in different topics have mm-hmm. come on board to share different classes. I saw how one of them was speaking to something that I learned about in in the my sales time in sales is that one of the tools that you can use is to like in in negotiation, which I feel like what we're talking about is there's like a little bit of a negotiation going on here. Is that you can echo out the last couple of things that someone has said, so that could be the You know, we talked about I wish, if you're hearing, thinking, and feeling, it could be as simple as echoing some of the same words that they had used. And so a lot of this is is really easy, and I would say, like, try not to be an expert at all of these things, because then I don't think you are doing conscious listening. I don't think you are really trying to meet someone where they're at, it's more fabricated. It's like find the thing that helps you feel like you can find a way to connect humanly with someone so that they can see you as a human. And mm-hmm. what sits with you the easiest way? Is it, the, is it the, the leading with empathy and really thinking about the grandma that you adore when someone's screaming at your face or, or talking down to you? Or is it the, the tact of like listening for the word think or feel? Like, I just say, like, try to find one thing that really sits easefully with you and, and just play with it. Like just experiment.
1: You know, I think it just hit me. One of the things that seems to be common, conscious listening, echoing back, even like there's a heat and exchange. I was mentioning like, oh, what would be good for me? is just like, stop for a moment and take a deep breath. One of the things that's common in all of those is like, making an effort to be present in that moment, like just kind of like stop and be. And, you know, and that's something that we, we talk about all the time is being present, but I think as a society as a whole, and especially in a heat and exchange, truly being present and aware of what's everything in that moment and not thinking about anything else would is kind of like the common theme of all of these little micro tools.
0: Yeah. I mean, and in, in our, podcast episode on presence we did talk about though how presence finding tools can feel like more anxiety inducing (laughs) 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 and and that's why i always get wary of like throwing all these out and saying like okay like so what helps you be present maybe just like a like zoom in on one yeah
1: yeah
0: and like for me, the thing that has worked really well, and then I've gotten positive reinforcement by having something go smoothly instead of the opposite when there was an exchange that felt threatening to me, has been that I wish statement. Um, so that's something that helps me see them. And on many occasions, I usually already feel like I understand where the person is coming from. Um, and so this is my way of saying it without me sounding pretentious. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm here with you. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these things are great, but another thing that we talk about a lot is that it takes practice and it takes preparation and it takes thought. So I think like, Kudos to you for tuning in and even listening to this because this in itself is like you're making space for this, for thinking about this and conversation. And if just for that, Dainu, you know, and go back to Dainu means like that's enough. Um, That's one of my favorite phrases. Like if just for this, that's enough. Um, And but in being prepared, one of the things that I've used in the past and I'm if you have if you grew up as an athlete at all, um you would do visualization practices and did you do visualization practices with Boy Scouts?
1: Um uh, no. I did visualization some in in music. Like if if in I was music. doing a pian- piano recital, I would envision what the end looked like or felt like.
0: So kind of like the visualization um is tied to like a performance, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I feel like sometimes conversations are a bit of a performance in a good way. But like when you're prepared, you feel like you can perform well. You can have a, a, an effective conversation. So I have I used visualization when I was an athlete growing up. And it helps to create your reality before it even exists. So playing out all of these scenarios... One of my friends, he's even done something where let's say that you've had a heated exchange that went sour. And his name's Andy. You know, Andy. Oh, yeah. Andy is like one of my I I consider him like a little bit of a life teacher. He's very grounded and connected. But um, so anyways, he taught me that even you can heal some negative exchanges that you've had and reinvent your reality to prepare yourself for the next one by actually recreating the story through a visualization practice. Mm. So, let's say you and I got in a fight, and I'm like sitting in that cyclical thinking and I'm thinking about how everything that went wrong, I did not find any connectors. We were so, we walked away with no resolve, which is like tortures me. I hate mm. when there's no resolve. What I have tried, and I will admittedly have only done this like a few times and I learned about this a long time ago, you can actually visualize it going the way of peace rather than no resolve. And just completely reinvent the story and then prepare yourself, create that muscle memory for the next time you're in a situation where you feel that threat and you feel that fight or flight to equip you for uh, something that could be uh, more loving at the end. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what I like about this idea of being prepared is we're trying to engage both that logic and the emotional part of the brain before anything happens. So, and then the muscle memory, like you just described, like, so if we have a muscle memory of what a good exchange or a heat exchange looks like that went really well, it immediately removes mm. the heightened part of the emotion, like some anyway, to where we can quickly, more quickly, get to that logic space of, oh, this, I've I've been here before. I know what this could look like if I want it to go really well. So where we are engaging because both parts of that, our mind, because both parts play a role. Both parts are important parts of our our being.
0: Well, and that's probably why there's been so much conflict. And we always talk about this conflict is not the same. It's not synonymous with fighting. But there has been a lot of conflict, is because. It's just uncharted territory. It's mm-hmm. like you you haven't had the experience to know that you're safe in the exchange because it's the first time you've talked to someone about wearing a mask or it's the first time you've talked to someone about their perspective on homeschooling or sending their kid to school and the risk that that is. So that uncharted territory is like what makes you feel unsafe and you don't have proof that it is going to go okay. Mm-hmm. So by, by doing the visualization prior and making up those scenarios, I think is really empowering.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I like uh, the idea of like, what is that one practice that you could do? Focus in on that, start small, and then they can build on each other. One. And, And then two, like, I mean, we're talking about situations that are really big. You know, but if we learn how to do the small things and learn how to like see the small conflicts that we probably see every day and just start to create those habits around small practices, if we can live this out in the small ways, it does set us up for when the big things happen. Um, Right. It's like, yeah, it's like learning, you know, learning how to do CPR on a a dummy and Uh, doing it over and over again is there to set you up for when you might actually need to perform CPR. Then you're ready to go.
0: Well, and don't you feel like a lot of this time right now is like maybe everyone needs a retraining because when you thought of when you said CPR, it's like yeah, you you reach, you do a, a uh-huh. training again or you re up your certification for a reason because it's right. been a bit, and so I feel like it's like. We're all in a place right now where it's been a bit maybe where you felt this maxed and this stressed and this triggered. And so it's like, what are the retrainings you can do to get yeah. yourself to a, a prepared state?
1: Well, something that I've said over the last, I don't know, a couple of years even is, you know, I grew up thinking that you don't talk about religion or politics because those are hard conversations and they're, they can be offensive or whatever. And I I'm didn't really know sp- that. I'm really starting to think that that's a mistake. Like those uh. are where, those are the conversations that we needed to have so that we have practice f- for when we have these harder conversations. Like I, that's I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about the gender gap and you know we've been trained not to have hard conversations. That's why I think so many people try to avoid conflict at all. Like we've at least that's, that was me. That was my growing up experience that you're just no, those, those conversations are rude. We don't want to have those conversations. I mean, I don't know where the conversation needs to go, but clearly we need to still have deeper, better conversations around this topic and there's way too much uh, inequity around it. And isn't the safer conversation to be talking about politics so that we have the tools to talk through this because we've got to change that.
0: Well, what was that in that Brene Brown podcast that we were listening to? She was interviewing the previous Surgeon General and they talked about how like everyone's like, yeah, just put people from a very strong Republican uh, perspective and a very strong Democratic perspective in the room and they'll hash it out. And it was like, no, that doesn't work. That hasn't worked. And so my hope is that little tools like this, it's more like, okay, how can we find connectors um, in a very... Even if it's a superficial way, how can you connect with someone? Like, one of the things that I've done all the time in business development is, like, what if you just acknowledge that someone has a beautiful haircut or a nice outfit or you like you like their smile? Like, that in itself sort of takes the, the shield off and creates a connector. It can be superficial is what I'm trying to say. And that the more you do it, the more you actually start to recognize all the beautiful things that you see in people. And then suddenly you're like this complimenter because you see things that are that deserve complimenting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: um, what? what are you thinking?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, so this is an example of like from a male perspective. I mean, I don't know. Six, mm. Three months ago, you got a haircut. And I'm like, I wanted to say, wow, that looks great. But I didn't want you to hear it the wrong way. Oh,
0: um, so I touche.
1: our relationship is strong enough where I did say something like, yeah, it great. looks great. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't say that to mm. a regular customer who was a woman because it could be, and a- I
0: could, oh jeez.
1: Yeah, so it's a lot. It's a little bit deeper.
0: Yeah, it it is deeper, but I love that we can just name that and put it out there and say like acknowledge that and understand that that is that it's not just as simple actually as the superficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, so I do want to end with one thing too, because we've talked about like micro tools. We've talked about you know a lot of it's been put on us, maybe to like it's not our it's not our issue, it's that person's, but it's still like a choice for us to realize. And sometimes there are for sure conflicts that still need that boundary. So like, can you talk to a little, um, how does setting up boundary, like, when is that a trigger just kind of acknowledge that boundaries are still really important in this conversation as well?
0: Oh yeah. Well, that's something I'm still wrestling with, too, is when to know when to set boundaries, you know, because you can lead with empathy all the time just to be ran over, right? Um, so I would say, like, maybe it's just as simple as, like, when you've tried even the the rule of three, when you try three times, and it's still not landing, and it's at the expense of your, um, of you, then Honoring you is also a practice in connection with self. So I would, you know, that's a quick way. And I think that sometimes there's exchanges too where you can actually make it worse by trying to connect because clearly it could be heightening their state of emotion. So I would encourage you to like, take note of how your responses are affecting them. And if it is just making them more fiery and more angry and more attacking and it's, and it's like fueling this monster, then that's when, um, that's another sign of like, no. And, and in customer service, that's usually like they, I just want to see the manager, right? That's like, sometimes there's really a beautiful exchange that can happen where I think that part of just getting the manager is just the break of transition. Like, I truly think that it's, yeah, of course, then they feel like they're seen and heard and there's authority and that they're valuable and they're important and all these things. But I really do think that there's power in, in these moments of transition and that when you can encourage that transition, whether it's taking a pause, um, removing yourself from the situation, bringing someone else into the situation, or just cutting it out at, at all, That can be just as potent and, I would argue, also a productive experience for you to learn from and feel like, okay, there is still an outlet of safety.
1: Yeah. Ah, Well, cool. Well, this is definitely one of those topics where we want to keep the conversation going. So next week we have not one but two interviews. My friend Sonam Klein is an adjunct professor of cyber psychology at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And our new friends, Sarah Blanchard and Mashasha Graham, who host a podcast called Dear White Women. Dear White Women is a really great podcast, similar in, in some ways to ours, where it's dedicated to helping ease into real and uncomfortable conversations around race and social justice.
0: I am so excited for these interviewees and like this, this topic we think is so important that we decided we were going to make it a a couple part series because we hope that it's helpful.
1: Yeah. So, uh, now we're going to be right alongside you and learn, uh, even more. And have more dialogue around this space but um, again thank you for being with us and thank you I think Mary you said it great earlier like the fact that you've listened to this podcast is an action that takes us into having the better dialogues and we're going to need as many tools as we can over the coming months of you know it's not if Thanksgiving dinner is weird it's going to be when Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> is weird so it's
0: not it's not if someone is throwing something in your face it's when right, right? yeah and and So with each podcast episode, we have been turning these tools into something that you don't just listen to, but you can actually implement to come along with this one. I will be doing a guided visualization to help you get to that empathetic state and hope that you can, we'll, we'll post that as a little bonus episode and and then we'll also be doing some other written practices. And one of the last episodes, we even did like a fun Mad Lib to help you find your confidence and sense of self. So please explore these tools that we post on our Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram.
1: Yeah, the the, the idea of the Third Place Podcast is definitely exploring that gray space. And it's it's certainly listening is an, an action, but um, we're really all these platforms our website is great we're on Instagram our music like we have music that tries to speak to these topics so Spotify and Apple Music you can find our playlist for each episode there Um, and the whole idea behind these tools is to interact with each other and create that uh, gray space middle space for uh, and it's in an active way with you so um, a lot of really great stuff if you want to go deeper there's lots of resources that we're trying to put out for you
0: Thank you for listening. Be well.